Life and Leadership with Bobby Kerr, a News Talk original. Brought to you by Amundi, an asset manager working today for all our tomorrows. Hello there and welcome to Life and Leadership with me, Bobby Kerr. My guest for this episode started her career in the modelling world. After winning a local beauty competition, she went on to win Miss World and it changed her life forever. It wasn't her first glimpse of fame because her father was in the limelight since she was born. Rosanna Davidson is now a hugely successful model, influencer, free-time author and nutritionist. I sat down with Rosanna to talk life and leadership. So Rosanna, you're very, very welcome to the Life and Leadership podcast. Uh, We're here in Dawkey. What does that mean to you? We are. Well, thank you, Bobby, for having me on. It's a big pleasure to be here chatting to you. Um, Dawkey was where I grew up, so spent 17 years or 18 years even living in Dawkey, near to the sea, um, Rockford Avenue. And yeah, all my best childhood memories are from Dawkey. All of my first pub experiences too, I may add. Was it the Queens or was it Finnegan's? Oh, it was everywhere I could get to. Yeah, the the Queens, Finnegan's... um, where else um, was down there? The club was yeah. kind of one of the And they're all ones. still there, which is a good thing. They are. My dad used to pop down. If he was having a barbecue, say, on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, he'd pop down to the club and get a couple of pints for himself and his friends and just you know, yeah. wander back up the road with his pints. And, and again, I'm fortunate to live out this way as well. I, it's a lovely village. Uh, mm. It is a village, essentially. Very self-contained. Yeah. It seems to have everything you, you really need. And of course, that view, I never get tired of that view going down to Coleymore yeah. and seeing Dokey Island. Um, we uh, actually took a trip out to Dokey Island over the summer in, I think, of July. And it was one of the most, you know, hot, hot, beautiful days of the summer last year. And we went over to Dokey Island, my husband and I, it's uh, lovely. on a little boat. And there's the a little, kids. they've now built a little uh, harbour there for, mm. well, at least a landing spot. In my time, all that used to be out there was the goats. Were they still there? The, though the goats were there, yeah, <laughs> yeah, lots of wildlife. But it just, it did feel like being somewhere abroad, somewhere yeah. tropical and exotic. So, Very cool. um, yeah, we'll do that again this You year. mentioned your dad. Um, when did you become aware as a, as a young girl that there was a spotlight on your dad or that you might have been part of uh, something that might have been quite famous <laughs> and you inadvertently might have been brought into the spotlight? Or were you protected from that? We were very much, when I say we, I have two younger brothers, Hubie and Michael. So we were very much sheltered from you know, the media, from the spotlight as children. My mum was very aware of bringing us up away from, from that side or from that world. But I, I suppose I was eight or nine, maybe ten, when... I did realise that my, my dad would, you know, could sing, did sing, uh, did concerts. I, probably my first major introduction to his concerts was when he did a, a string of shows in the RDS. I can't even think when that could have been the 90s at some point. Yeah. And I remember bring, being brought backstage and um, my mum being there and she was entertaining guests and friends and thinking, oh, this is actually quite exciting, quite buzzy. I'm, I'm enjoying this. So, yeah, I do remember the buzz of being backstage and being given, particularly being given a lanyard with, yeah. you know, a little backstage pass. That was awfully Well, I assume to you he was just dad. To um, me, he was dad. Uh, he obviously did travel an awful lot. But when he was home, he was very hands-on. He really made up for, for the lost time traveling when he was home. And he was a really fun dad. You know, he, he still is. Uh, but And a granddad now as well. He's also known as Bam Bam to my children. No way. But we had, we were lucky enough to have a lovely 
back garden in our house in Dalkey and you know I've great memories of just playing football but it was really outdoorsy childhood we were never allowed video games you know mobile phones didn't exist at one point kind of later on we did get you know dial-up internet I can still remember the sound of that but it was a very outdoorsy wholesome childhood and my dad you know spent a lot of time out in the garden doing water slides in the summer uh, you know playing badminton we had lots of fun. I've seen you describe yourself as a tomboy growing mm. up that's maybe something that might surprise some people um what in what sense were you a tomboy did you I know you're a Liverpool fan is that right yeah the whole family is <laughs> yeah. um I was a tomboy in the sense that I was happiest. Uh, I was mad about horses. So uh, when I was 12, I was allowed to get a pony. It was actually my grandmother, Maeve, who is 96, turning 97 this wow. year. I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll speak about her more later on. Um, but it was, it was my grandmother who sort of first introduced me to ponies in the world of horse riding. She was crazy about animals, probably loved animals more than humans. Um, and, you know, I really got interested in horses. So I was actually happiest just in my job. The two brothers probably helped, did they? Do you know what? They didn't enjoy it as much as me. They right. were more into their football and their, you know, sports. Yeah. Um, one of my, my brothers actually works for Liverpool Football Club now, so that was his boyhood dream. But yeah, I was just happiest out in the fields, mucking around. I was never into, you know, glamour or beauty or fashion or any of those things. It was, wow. it was just being out and about. Um, I loved sports. I was really big into athletics. Um, I represented um, my school in the All-Irelands, in the, the Leinsters as well. In this is in Rattown? Yeah. Wow. So it was all about sports, all about horses growing up. Um, later on, obviously, I you know, discovered boys and things like that. But um, definitely most of my childhood and teenage years were so just you, So the thought of being a model back in those days never really entered your Absolutely your zone. not, no. I was, as I said, very interested in sports, um, very interested in, you know, health, nutrition. Um, I really saw myself, I suppose, doing something like physiotherapy or sports science. Um, eventually, I, I did end up studying nutrition. I yeah, we'll talk about that later because I think, again, you've put a lot of effort and a lot of, you know, you've got, you've got absolutely, I think, impeccable qualifications around all your beliefs around nutrition. But we'll, let's come back to that okay. because I want to talk about the ATM in Dunleary. Ah, uh, when you've done somebody, your research, haven't you? When somebody spotted you and said, wouldn't this girl be great? Uh, as a Miss Dunleary, let's was was the starting point. <laughs> the glamour. There's not too many of them around. <laughs> no. Um, well, it was summer of 2003. I was a first year student in UCD studying sociology and history of art. Um, again, I, I couldn't pinpoint really what I wanted to do, so I ended up being convinced to do an arts degree and then you know, specialise later on. Um, so I just finished that. I just spent three weeks in EOS in Greece with my friends. You know, I had a very normal life. I was, I had no intentions of becoming a beauty queen or going into the world of modeling. As I said, I was very into my sports and I didn't see myself as an, anyone glamorous or, you know, maybe enjoyed dressing up here and there, but um, I was never into kind of the, the world of glamour. Uh, so when this woman approached me, I was at the ATM, you know, taking out a tenner to, to buy a top <laughs> at the local shops. And she goes, oh, I think you'd be a great entrant for uh, the Miss Dunleary competition. It's, it's being held this Saturday. And uh, she, she asked me what I did or 
what I do and I said oh I'm a student in UCD and she goes ah there will be free food and drink (laughs) knowing quite well what students like and I said yeah I'm in great Um, but I did take some convincing I mean I really was not into the idea of a beauty pageant whatsoever but when I was told you know there would be freebies maybe or a bit of fun involved and did you um, know that Miss Dunleary would end up being Miss Ireland um, and a route to Miss World. Did you know that? I in didn't the early at the days? time. I only found out that night. Right. Um, and <laughs> so I turned up anyway on the, the Saturday night. And again, I was wearing jeans and a nice top. I had a very limited going out wardrobe. Um, I think, you know, back then we had access to limited kind of hair and makeup. I certainly didn't get anything done. I probably put on a bit of mascara and lip gloss and turned up. And I remember Mickey Joe Hart was one of the judges that night. Um, and I think he'd had a song out as well. So, you know, there was a bit of kind of excitement and glamour around that. And, uh, you know, Brian McAvoy, the, yeah. the photographer, he was there taking pictures. So that's how far back we go. I mean, this is 20 years. Um, and just on the night, I just walked up and down this little catwalk and, and uh, answered a few questions about myself. And that was that. And to my absolute shock and surprise, I, I won this little tiara and um, then realized that I had to go into Miss Ireland um, a few weeks later. And that was a bit of a jolt because, you know, I thought Miss, Mr. Neary would be a bit of fun. I ended up with my little sash and crown and the title. Um, and then it suddenly got a little bit more serious. So I had to choose, you know, an evening gown for Miss Ireland and, and get a spray tan, which was a whole new thing for me. And, you know, think about maybe getting my hair done. And it just became this whole new world that yeah. opened up. Um, so it was... A journey that I found myself on without sort of <laughs> deciding to, to go there. It sort of and took me along. could happen. Um, yeah. Tell us then, Rosanna, about Miss World. Uh, again, it, it probably changed a lot of things for you. Uh, it probably wasn't what you expected. But uh, tell us about the experience of, yeah. of and then winning it. Well, I went to Miss World as a very normal girl with with my own preconceptions about an international beauty pageant, I will admit, um, you know, I felt maybe it's just a little bit, you know, it wasn't, it didn't feel like me. It didn't feel like, you know, something I would be into and um, the idea of being judged for looks. And, and I suppose I had no idea really about it. Um, but I went along with, um, I suppose, very low expectations I suppose um I'd been I'd received a lot of help from Lisa Fitzpatrick yeah. uh, who was just so kind to me she helped me I mean as I said I was fairly clueless about fashion and dressing so she put together um three outfits a day for every day for a month that we'd be traveling around China with Miss World and she listed them out she put accessories with them and I was just watching her going how do you do this but she was running a, a shop at the time um in Fox Rocks so she knew what she was doing. And so I, I went off to China on my own with four huge suitcases packed full of everything I would need for a month. I obviously didn't know anyone there. I didn't speak the language. I was quite overwhelmed. I mean, I was 19. So um, it was this whole new world. But I was a fairly adventurous yeah. person. I loved travel and I loved the idea of this adventure. But again, the idea of being in a beauty pageant, just I couldn't relate to it at all. Um, but I found once... I was over there, maybe even a few days into it, I started observing the other girls. And a lot of them had received training to 
be in a beauty pageant. So I remember one of them had a handbook that she'd consult. Um, you know, they were very polished. Miss Venezuela, I just stood staring at her. She was so glamorous and so polished. Her nails and her makeup, everything was perfect. But I found myself watching them and learning from them and really thinking, okay, how can I be like them and how can I really um, stand beside these very polished trained girls and actually be at their level so I just found maybe in the first couple of weeks I just really pushed myself to to be a beauty queen you know I just watched them and tried to do what they did and you know I remember we were at an orphanage one day and um, there was a shuffle to get to the front for the photo and there there was another shuffle to pick up the nearest child you know because you'd maybe have a better chance of landing your photo in the media if you were holding a baby so I just noticed these little little things that they do some of the things around that world might be a little synthetic or um, or is did you you have any issues with that not really do you know what I learned there was that um, the the women there were over 100 women competing in my year and they were all professional you know university graduates or professional women um, you know everything from lawyers to, to dentists doctors, um, architects, all these these women who just were very career focused, but just wanted to use um, Miss World or, or their national pageants as maybe a platform or a way to um, you know, express views on, on whatever issues that they cared about or were passionate about or, or draw attention to whatever charities they were involved in. And I just began to see it differently. Um, per six girls, we had a chaperone. So she monitored our behavior and activities and comings and goings. And we weren't really, I mean, this is the first year it was held in China. So there was a huge fuss about it, paparazzi everywhere. And um, we, we had to stay on our floor in the hotels. We couldn't kind of wander up and yeah. down floors. Um, but I realized that we were being, you know, quietly judged, I suppose, um, all day, every day. And it wasn't really about the final show. The final show was really just for TV, you know, it's for the TV viewers. But what I realized Miss World were looking for was a representative, you know, a brand ambassador, somebody who they could travel with then for a year and somebody who would uh, be perfectly able to speak to the media, to attend press conferences, you know, stand up on a podium at a charity gala and and address the audience. So there was as much in it for them as there was for you. Well, it was, yeah, it was about them trying to find a brand ambassador who could uh, do all of this and be polished and you know, put together their outfits and, you know, um, speak to the media and do all that side of things. So that's what I realized when I was there. And I began to change my perception of the, the whole pageant. And really, they focus an awful lot on, I mean, the majority of the work Miss World do is for charity. And um, we teamed up with Variety and um, the children's charity um, and really focused a lot in those few weeks on, you know, orphanages, hospitals, um, and I just felt that, that actually it had a really positive impact on on the people involved and the people they were trying to reach out to. Um, and I spent then my years Miss World working with charities as well. And was that your stepping stone into modelling? Yes, I had been involved in the UCD fashion show earlier in 2003. Yeah. Uh, Julian Benson, who was a judge on Dancing with the Stars, he's fantastic. Great I love Julian. But he was the choreographer that year. So I had a little bit of um, insight, I suppose, into the world of modelling through that. But yes, Miss World. I mean, the, the night I won in December 2003 was um, absolutely surreal. I mean, it changed my life. 
and my life is still different 20 years on. Um, Tell us about the business of modeling. Uh, like it's, it's a, it is a business behind everything uh, else it may be, but there's a business there. So earning money, uh, promotions, marketing, like all those things form part of it. So as a model, tell us about the actual business. Is it, is it a tough business? Um, well, I wouldn't like my daughter necessarily to go yeah. into it, let's put it like that. You know, I, I have been very lucky with the people I've worked with, the places I've gone. Um, I had thought when I won Miss World that I would, you know, work as Miss World for a year. I'd go back to university. I actually did go back and finish my degree in UCD and that would be that. But here I am 20 years on, you know, yeah, still in this business. But you're right, it is a business um, like, like anything else. And it, I found it's about personality as much as how you look um so i but as i said i've been very lucky with the people i've worked with and the places and you I've, probably I've do you not drive the business then with your personality that's if you say that's a, a really important part of you being do. successful um yeah i think it's about um it's it's about connecting with your clients and and you know, building up a relationship with clients. Um, obviously, then the clients come back year on year. Um, I have always loved travel, so I've been very lucky to travel travel the world for, for work. And I've done everything from, you know, Beijing Fashion Week to um, Is it jobs a... all over the world. Um, I have management in Europe. And pre, pre-babies, pre-COVID, I used to travel there yeah. kind of three or four times a month. Is it a business where naivety could be exploited, in your view? Do you need to be on your game in terms of being streetwise, you know, when others are making decisions around what you might do, the jobs you pick, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I would definitely say that, um, you know, having a management or agency that you really trust, that you have a very strong relationship with is important. You can be exploited, Um, I suppose, like in other businesses as well, but... I was lucky that my dad was able to give me advice um, on maybe the legal and media side of the business. Yeah, which must have been invaluable. Absolutely. And his management was really able to guide me in the right direction and put me in touch with others. Um, And, you know, really the business for me has been about um, being a brand ambassador for for multiple brands. Um, You know, a lot of the work I would do in Europe, um, I would be hired to attend an event and walk the red carpet, speak to the media about the, the brand or um, the, the cause or the, the, the event. And um, it's, it's been enjoyable. I mean, yeah. I've, I've met some incredible people, been to really interesting places. It was, uh, it was a lot of your, the, I suppose that the, 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 a lot of your modeling work was happened during the Celtic Tiger. Uh, did you take advantage of that? Did you manage to make a few quid and put a few quid away? Was it a was it a time of financial success? <laughs> um, no, I've been lucky. Well, yeah, we all know what the Celtic Tiger was like, but I I've been lucky throughout it that I suppose I've I've had um, you know jobs that have been worthwhile and and you know made the most of it. I've worked really hard though. Um, and you know, there's been a lot of um, a lot of early morning flights, a lot of travel. Um, I've really, I suppose, maybe inherited my, da- or I've always 
see now how hard my dad has worked and how much he's yeah. put into his career. And well, absolutely, sort of uh, I'd imagine it's a tough, it's a tough gig. Uh, well, I'm always afraid to say no, and yeah. you know, still to this day, my my family say you don't need to say yes to everything, and I think, well, you don't know where the next job will come from or when it'll come. Speaking of of saying yes to everything, what about the Playboy shoot in <laughs> Germany? Let's get it off the table. Get it uh, off our chest. <laughs> was it a when you look back on it now? There was a bit of controversy about it at the time uh, it's something you did it's something I think you said you got a lot out of but uh, would you do it again I don't think anyone <laughs> wants to see that again um, do you know what it was the right time I'm really I've no regrets I'm, I'm delighted I did it they had actually approached me a few years before that um, to do a shoot but at the time I was building my career more in Germany and um, my manager felt that a uh, more wholesome image maybe was the right way to go right. at the start. And then when I'd built it enough, I could go down um, the route of Playboy. And he'd had other clients who'd done Playboy and had a very positive experience with, with German Playboy. So he felt that I would be supported throughout the process. And really, I was, um, I was very, I suppose, strict about certain elements of the shoot. So I... I made sure that I had full control over the pictures chosen um, the everything from the hair and makeup to the location um, every element of the shoot you know I was given full control yeah. over so that was kind of my, my the main reason I, I agreed to it as well I didn't want any surprises when the, the shoot came out so um, yeah it was shot in, in Mauritius I mean when it, was, it was done about 10 or 11 years ago at this stage um, but you know, I was I was really pleased with how the shoot turned out and the, and the reaction to the shoot. Obviously, it was for a German Playboy, yeah. so um, the the reaction over there was strong and positive, and maybe Irish. I think we're desensitized now. I think with social media and probably media in general, we're we're more used to seeing yeah. nudity anyway. But maybe ten or eleven years ago. Um, I don't know if even Instagram, maybe Instagram was very new, but, you know, I think things were a little bit more fresh, a little bit more shocking, a little bit more controversial. So I think I, I did it at maybe the right time. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad I did. I don't think I'd do it now because, well, I've you know had babies and I'm married and my children might not. <laughs> so when your own daughter <laughs> comes in 20 years time and says, I'm going to be doing the a Playboy shoot in Germany, you'd say, off you go. Do you know what? I'd support her as much as my parents supported me. Yeah. And, you know, when I went to them and said that I'd had this offer and I was considering it, my dad said, absolutely go for it. I mean, look at the women who have come before you. Look at, you know, Pamela Anderson. I just watched her documentary <laughs> a few days ago on Netflix. Um, look at, you know, who else? All the supermodels, yeah. Naomi Campbell, um, Marilyn Monroe. Look at these women who have come before you who've done it. And so why not? Didn't do with them any harm. Yeah, why not? So, you know, he was really encouraging. Not that he sat down and looked at it, but and my poor brothers actually felt the worst <laughs> out of my Playboy shoot because they were, let me see, they were probably in their early 20s and they were tormented by oh, their yeah. friends sending them pictures <laughs> and, um, you know, I think every day for oh, a while well. they were sent pictures from their friends which they, you know, they were scared to open their, their phones for a while. Um, but apart from that, you know, I, I sat down actually with my husband when I was going through the images. There were hundreds of images to go through and look at because it was a three-day three shoot. And I sat down with him and I was like, now, forget that I'm your wife and you know me. Just look at these images and tell me which one's 
you like and then I'll tell you which ones I like and we can see if we can choose <laughs> the final set and that was it was interesting because seeing it obviously from a male perspective is different you know I would I would see different things than, yeah. than he would of course but he was really supportive um as well you know he he was absolutely fine with it that's cool once I had the support of those around me you know, yeah that was, no no I think I, 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 I think it's refreshing to hear you <laughs> to, to, to speak like that life and leadership with Bobby Kerr a News Talk original. Brought to you by Amundi, an asset manager working today for all our tomorrows. Tell us about the business of influencing. Um, you mentioned Instagram there. Uh, I don't know, you've got 300,000 plus followers on it. Um, is the business of influencing in your world, is it taken seriously enough? Is it a business? Is it a Is it a place where maybe... Uh, people that don't have the credentials that you have, say, can can find a, an audience. Uh, how do you how do you separate authenticity? Obviously, it's 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 commercial, and you're in the business of mm. being commercial. So, I'd be interested in your your thoughts on the whole influencing Just, space. It's a funny one that has really emerged over the past maybe five, six, seven years, really when Instagram became popular, something I sort of just fell into again because my world was was very much about, um, you know, the world of the press call, say, and and working with a brand to, to promote um, their product or service and getting that into the papers. And it really just evolved then into the online world. And particularly with COVID, um, an awful lot of the brands that I would have worked with focus their their marketing budgets yeah. online and on Instagram so it it evolved in for me anyway in a very sort of organic way um it suits me at the moment because I can be home with my children I you know my two two-year-olds and my three-year-olds so it just means I don't have to go out and about too much I can sort of work from home but I guess I mean isn't it it's it's a complex I mean it's a complex answer to a complex question yeah. I think we could be here all day teasing apart the world of influencing and Instagram I mean I'm I would uh, be very encouraging to anyone who who can make a living from Instagram and, and very supportive but as you say I think you do have to sift through the information and the advice out there and just be quite careful about who you follow and why you follow us and you know, follow accounts maybe that that make you feel good and yeah you know I think we all have to be careful about the influences that we take from the I think the point you make about, you know, I suppose the shift in marketing spend mm. from corporates, from fashion brands into this area mm. as, as where it would have been maybe an ancillary uh, spend, mm. it now is mm. where a lot of them are putting uh, and, and they can, the results are obviously well, tangibly. It it's lucrative, work. it's trackable, yeah. you know, you would, there are trackable links that they can see in real time the 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 money being spent and the, the sales coming through. So it's, and, you know, it's, I think we're in a world now where we've all realized that we don't have to go places, we don't have to travel, we don't have to go to the meetings, we can do so much more online now as well. So it's it's just about maybe condensing the, the time we're spending traveling or going to places and just making it all a little bit easier. So being able to do it online um, has, has multiple benefits, yeah, yeah. certainly for a busy mum. 
um, like me. And it, it sort of takes me out of the toddler world for a little bit into a more adult world, which, which I appreciate as well. Now, you mentioned family and uh, you've been very open uh, about your difficult journey that you had to parenting. Uh, you, I know you suffered many miscarriages, eventually went down the surrogacy route. Mm. Uh, what, why did you, why were you so open about maybe what some would consider a very personal journey? I was so open because um, I really felt strongly that it was a story that needed to be heard. It was a message that needed to be spread in the hope that it would offer some comfort and support to others going through it. I felt that we had been through a, a seriously challenging few years before we welcomed our daughter Sophia in 2019 and the idea of others going through what we did um, it's a very lonely place to be in infertility yeah. um, it's traumatic it's lonely um, I found it very difficult to find anyone to talk to when I was going through I mean consecutive multiple miscarriages I had 14 before we decided to go, pursue surrogacy I had a 15th then before um, I got pregnant with my twin boys um, but I felt at the time miscarriage and infertility weren't really on my radar I hadn't been aware of it you know going through school I studied biology I did biology for the leaving cert it wasn't kind of part of that curriculum um, friends didn't speak about it so I, I felt for the first while we we went through this very lonely journey, not knowing who to speak to, where to turn to, you know, I was you know, obviously spent time on on the internet looking at people's stories, and I really clung on to other people's success stories, um, thinking of well, if they can go through multiple miscarriages or, or difficulties with fertility and then come out the other end with a family, then I can do it too. It can happen for us. So it was really, I just felt it was a really important topic to talk about because it hadn't as far as I was aware it hadn't really been spoken yeah. about in, in, in detail and I'd come through I'd done a lot of work on myself to accept the idea that I couldn't have a baby naturally I needed medical support I needed a surrogate so I'd made peace with the idea that you know other aspects of my life were positive and good but I couldn't my body was in some way dysfunctional and I just couldn't have a baby so um it was making peace with that then I suppose gave me the strength to to speak about it more openly and I thought there has to be others out there I mean there have to be other couples who are struggling yeah. like us and of course the, statistically it's one in six and which is a, a it's a frightening statistic at one level uh, your surrogate was from Ukraine uh, and again that has become very much mm. part of all our lives in terms of what's happening over there Tell us a little bit about Ukraine um, and your own relationship uh, with uh, your surrogate and indeed that country. Mm. When we decided, following medical advice, to pursue surrogacy, the first thing we did was contact a lawyer who specialises in surrogacy law, both in Ireland, well, lack of law in Ireland, but international surrogacy law. And she recommended Ukraine. Many of her clients had had success in Ukraine. So we contacted the recommended clinic and agency over there and really just <laughs> went from there uh, as far as the process was concerned of getting onto the program over there. And, um, you know, we headed over, my husband and I headed over to Kiev in early 2019 for the egg retrieval procedure. Um, we were matched with our surrogate, Anastasia, um, early that year as well. 
we decided on commercial surrogacy, so um, it meant that we didn't necessarily didn't necessarily have to form a relationship with the surrogate. Um, all our communication was done via the agency. Okay, um, which we decided would suit us better. You know, I was really grappling with the idea of. Um, Oh, another woman, you know, being pregnant with my child thousands of miles away. And I felt, um, I felt horrified, to be honest, at the beginning at the idea of, of another woman, you yeah. know, having my pregnancy. So I just felt it would be easier to maybe take the human relationship yeah. element out of it and just, you know, follow the, the commercial surrogacy side. So um, that's what we did that year. I, it was just communication through the agency. Um, every couple of weeks, we we got the scan results in. It was all I was interested in was the baby's growth and development. Obviously, I'd enormous, and I still do have enormous love and gratitude for Anastasia and everything she's done for our family. You know, she she stepped in when we needed her most and gave us a baby. But um, I, I did find it difficult to imagine her carrying my my yeah. baby over there. Um, there was a point, though, when she was 23 weeks pregnant with Sophia, and um, we'd had the, the big 20-week scan. We knew everything was, was going well. And I asked for a picture of Anastasia, and she sent over through the agency a picture of her showing the baby bump. And I just remember, um, again, you're feeling the, the joy and the love and the gratitude to her for, for what she was doing for us, but just feeling such sadness that I wasn't carrying this child, that my body wasn't able to, to yeah. create this life. Um, so following that, the first time we met her was just before she gave birth to Sophia. Um, we went, we went over just a week before the birth and went into her final scan and heard the heartbeat and, and met, um, her nickname's Nastia and met Nastia for the first time. And, um, you know, she, she gave birth safely to Sophia. And I mean, following that, we, we, we kept in touch. She used to message me every month that Sophia was a month older. And in early 2020, she, she told us that she would love to um, give us a sibling for Sophia. We had discussed that. And so we were all set to, to go along the surrogacy route again in 2020. Um, but in the March that year, I got pregnant with Hugo and Oscar. So Amazing. I had to message Nastia and just say thank you so much I messaged her in the June so I was just say 14 weeks pregnant I felt it was safe to tell her and we were all set to go through the surrogacy process again the next month so I, I felt bad for her that she had maybe rearranged her year thinking that she'd be attempting to to get pregnant with a second baby for us um but you know after that I just thought we might not see her again we may keep in touch with her but that that might the Has last time we see her. Well, when the the war broke out um, last year, I contacted her and said, "Come to Ireland. You know, we'll we'll get you somewhere to live. We'll look after you. Um, you helped us when we needed you, so it's our turn to help you out." And I'd always felt. I mean, the day she gave birth to Sophia, I was there in the room watching it all. I'd always felt that it it just seemed. Um, it seemed wrong to just hand her a paycheck and send her on her way. I mean, it, she had carried our child and given birth to her, and our much-wanted child. It just felt like there was some way we could thank her. There, there had to be some yeah. some more meaningful, personal way we could thank her. So, um, yeah, we, we just said to her, if you can get over to Ireland, we'll look after you. And it took her a while. She couldn't get out of um, Kherson in, in Ukraine for a couple of months, but they managed to escape. And um, a horrific ordeal trying to escape um, Kherson. It was surrounded um, 
by by Russians. They got out, they got to the Polish border, made their way. I mean, again, I won't go into all the details, but it was it was a fairly it was a fairly big logistical challenge to get them over with the dog as well, a husky over to Ireland. But we managed to get them all onto a Lufthansa flight and over um, in April. And we have put them into an apartment. Um, you know, their little girl, um, Milana, she's just turned six, and started a local school. Um, That's great. They're, they're settled in. We brought over her aunt as well um, during the year just to help with childcare and, you know, got them a job locally. So um, it's sort of the story that kept on giving. And, um, you know, I'm just so grateful that we were able to look after her and her family. Um, as well. I, I told you we'd talk about nutrition um, and again I know you're hugely interested congratulations on your masters oh, thank you. and all your uh, your academic achievements, the two books um, tell me a little bit about your journey, uh, your food journey mm. you were a vegetarian as a child, when did you become vegan? I became vegan in 2011 and uh, it was I was studying nutrition. It was my first year, I think, studying nutrition. And um, we were just given different, I don't know, eating programs to to try out for a week um, to be able to talk to potential clients about um, in the future. And I just tried out, um, you know, plant-based eating, and I loved it. And, um, yeah, I've been following a plant-based diet ever since. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things that... It, I found it, it works well for me. Um, I, I do believe that there's no one diet or eating plan that works well for everybody. And I think um, it's a very individual choice. And can I ask you about, you know, if you talk about skin care, you talk about ageing, you talk about well-being. Do you think a lot of that is nutrition? As in that their nutrition is the primary giver in those areas? It's one important element. I mean, yeah. you know, I would look at um, sleep, which yeah, is something which I'm obsessed with. Which you don't get much of these with, days. Because um, my children go through phases, but um, they're going through a phase recently where two of them have discovered they can hop out of their beds in the night and come into me. That's it. Um, That's and a hard they just one seem to, to want to lie across me, you know. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. Um, so sleep is obviously essential to, to performance, to mental and emotional well being, to physical well being. Stress management, I think, is. It's probably underrated because we're, we're living in this fast-paced world, particularly post-COVID. I feel things have got back to just the normality now where yeah. we're rushing around. And I think stress management is so important, um, whether it's just going for a walk, um, meditation if you're into meditation, deep breathing. You know, there are um, ways we can lower our cortisol and and relieve stress in in a matter of minutes and um, but that is important you know when I when we my husband and I get the children to bed I find I have to sit there for an hour in silence <laughs> just like no one touch me no one talk to me even if the dog starts looking quiet. for attention then I'm like, quiet time <laughs> yeah you just need quiet time to decompress and um, so stress management and then yeah exercise nutrition come into it as well and and really I would be a huge advocate of just eating a very um you know, a diet based on whole foods, um, color, colorful foods, variety, plenty of plant-based foods. Yeah. And just keeping it simple. I think um, we we get too fixated on different plants. You mentioned your husband, Wes, there. Uh, how involved is he in your working world and you and his? Do you, do you, do you share sort of business challenges and... 
Uh, would you ask each other for help on on on, uh, on various issues around business? I do. I more so me asking him. Um, he and his sister run the the family business, the um, Doctor Quirky's and the casino. Um, sorry, the Carlton Casino Club. And um, but our worlds. I mean, our business and work world, worlds are are very different. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, he he loves. The whole business, and he loves what he does. He's a former model, so he probably has a, an understanding you know of your what? world he that read, I wouldn't have. He read that online once. He was like, "Former model." He did one shoot. <laughs> he's suddenly a former model. Okay, so he's not a former not, model. Not really. I, I dragged him into one shoot once, and you know he did it, but he was mortified. Now he's much happier um, away from the cameras. He, okay. he barely lets me put him on on social media, but. Um, yeah, he really enjoys what he does and he feels challenged and um, he, cool. you know, his business was closed throughout COVID and I was the one kind of working. So, yeah, um, yeah we do different things, but we have plenty to talk about as well. Of course well, you that, do. That doesn't involve the children. <laughs> when you look at your own uh, career, Rosanna, um, evolving over the years, modelling, nutrition, TV present, presenting, author and so much more, you must see yourself as a sort of a trailblazer. And what next? What What's on the horizon if we look forward the next 10 years? Just love a full night's sleep, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, Simplicity. <laughs> well, when I finished my master's, I graduated from that in 2019, um, master's in personalised nutrition through Middlesex University. I said to Wes, I swear I won't do any more courses. I'm done. And, you know, he'd... He'd sort of supported me through it. He said, it, yeah, right. I mean, it was a 40-hour-a-week <laughs> master's. It was, plus my, my work no, on top going. of that. So it was. Um, but now I'm sort of thinking, oh, I might do another course. There's more. I'd, I just have a very curious brain, and I love keeping up to date with yeah. the latest research. And, you know, I think the, the fascinating, exciting part of the world of science and nutrition is that it's ever-evolving. Um, you know, there's always new data coming out. There's new studies to, to read through. So um, I might do that. Um, I, yeah, I am thinking ahead to the next few years, particularly when the children are in school. My daughter's in preschool and the boys will start um, in September. So I may have a, a little bit more time, a few yeah. more hours in the morning. Um, so, yeah, I'm thinking of sort of business ideas and, and things I'd like to do. But, um, yeah, we'll see. It, it really, as I said, just depends on... The, the time I have, I just find the children take up um, most of my energy, yeah, well, and, uh, mental energy and physical energy and time. So I think you seem to have it fairly well balanced. Uh, well, do you know what? I really, I wanted to be a mum for so long. And yeah. I'm just delighted with my little family and, and my children absolutely come first. Yeah. And once they have, um, you know, a happy, enjoyable, magical childhood, then um, travel, I suppose, is the next big goal for this year. Great. If you look back, Rosanna, is there anything that you might have done differently? Have you any regrets? Uh, or are you happy with the status quo? No, I'm happy. Do you know what? I'm a big believer in not having regrets in life because I think we all make decisions based at the time on the best possible information yeah. for the best possible reasons. Um, life often unfolds in an unpredictable way. Um, it certainly has done in, in my career. And, you know, I've just followed it. I think I've taken every opportunity that has arisen. Um, I've, I've traveled as much as possible. Definitely a pro tip before you have children, get all the travel out of your system. Yeah. Um, 
No, I've really made the most of every opportunity and I've been adventurous and and not afraid to take risks. And you've also enjoyed it because I'm sensing that from our conversation that you, you, you don't have any regrets and you enjoy what you do and what you've done. Yeah, absolutely. I've enjoyed it. I mean, I've 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 loved the opportunity to meet to meet incredibly creative people in the industry. To, you know, as I said, to travel. To every day has been different throughout my career. And um, you know, at the moment, obviously, it's very much about childcare at home. But I think in the next few years, um, I'll get out there a little bit more. Very again. cool, Rosanna. Can I ask you about being an author? And again, this is what I one of the things I love about you that you're not afraid to go into areas that maybe that you, you know, um, maybe don't have the experience of. But you wrote two bestsellers, Eat Yourself Beautiful and Eat Yourself Fit, again, around uh, nutrition and everything you believe in. And you've also a new book. Tell us about that. Well, yeah, sorry. Eat Yourself Beautiful and Eat Yourself Fit are both cookbooks and they... They're plant-based cookbooks and really just a selection of recipes that, that I love that, you know, I'm by no means a chef. Um, they're just recipes that I find are enjoyable, they're nutritious um, and quick and easy as well to make. So and they're you. They're, they're, they're things, they're, they're what you eat and what you like to enjoy with yeah. friends and family. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so they were really enjoyable to write. I did them after I trained in um, nutrition. So there's obviously the, the nutrition element to to the recipes. Um, but books are a big undertaking. I mean, I, I find they take really the best part of a year. Um, Easier said than done. Yeah, I mean, yeah. sorry, plenty of authors spend far longer than a year writing them, but mine, yeah, took took about a year um, each. Um, but the, the latest one is called When Dreams Come True, and that was published in October 2021. And... That book, well, it's very different to the previous two because it details um, our, our fertility journey, um, surrogacy, pregnancy, motherhood. And I do go into an awful lot of detail about the, our experience of, of multiple miscarriages, infertility, the, the various um, tests and clinics we went to to try and discover what was um, the problem. Um, and then going down the surrogacy route and, and falling pregnant with the twins. So I wrote the book, again, for the same reason that I... I told our story so publicly um, to be able to offer that comfort and support to anyone going through um, what we went through and the challenges we faced anyone who has faced a fertility challenge or will face one in the future um, but also for my children as well I want them to read it in the and future and maybe inadvertently that helped you did it in terms of of downloading your whole experience into one place yeah. uh, in terms of just getting it out there. I think so. It's been cathartic to to discuss it and um, to really delve into and tease out the, the emotional side of infertility and the, the challenges you face as an individual and in a relationship as well, because it certainly does test a relationship. Um, so... That book I wrote when the twins, I mean, I had three babies at home, so I do look back and think, how did, how did I, I do, do that? that? But I think anyone who has deadlines knows you just get your head down and do it. And I had a lot of support. You know, my mum and aunt would come along and take them all out for walks for a few hours and let me get to work. Um, so you do, you just get it done. And I think when it's a very personal story, you, you really dig deep and you, you know, you write down everything. Um, and it was the right time to do it as well, because... Time goes by, details fade, yeah. and I really needed the, the details I, to be fresh. When the memory was mm. fresh. Great. Yeah. Okay, a couple of other questions. What advice would you give your younger self? 
Oh, it's difficult to compress that into one answer, but I would say to make yourself proud, work hard, make yourself proud, take take every opportunity that that comes your way. Um, don't be afraid to take risks. Enjoy it. You know, don't that's don't all. stress the small things. Yeah, that's all good. <laughs> and finally, can I ask you, who is your legend of leadership? Well, looking at global political leaders, I have great admiration for Jacinda Ardern or um, Zelensky uh, and their strong, compassionate leadership. But on a more personal level, my grandmother has always been a a huge inspiration to me. Tell us about her. Well, her name is Maeve. She will turn 97 this year. Wow. um, But she has lived an extraordinary life um, from from growing up in India to working as a spy during the Cold War. Um, She ran a hotel. Then later on in Ireland, she bred racehorses. Wow. She lived in India. I mean, just extraordinary life. And she has lived it with such humility and strength and she's just to me an example of just a, a really strong independent um inspirational woman that sounds and, like um, an amazing yeah. story and, and an amazing fantastic. lady yeah right rosanna davison thanks so much for joining us i uh, hope you liked having our conversation here in Dawkey, uh, your homeland and uh Thanks very much for being so open, so honest and refreshingly transparent. Thank you so much. I could have spoken for another few hours with you, but I'm sure you have things to do. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Life and Leadership with Bobby Kerr. A News Talk original. Brought to you by Amundi, an asset manager working today for all our tomorrows.